Welcome to Called, a podcast where we explore the intersection of ministry and the rest of our lives as church workers. I'm Bill Smoots. And I'm Sarah Bariza. Join us on the first and third Tuesdays as we talk about cutting the BS and embracing the good. Between the two of us, we have ministered for over 50 years and we're still here. I've worked as a church musician for about 20 years now, uh, mostly in mainline denominations, but really, really across the denominational spectrum. If they hire organists, I've probably worked for them at some point. And if she counts for 20 years, that must mean I'm you guys over do, 30 years You guys years do the math. <laughs> Uh, I have, I'm a Presbyterian pastor, and so my work has primarily been in Presbyterian congregations, though as of recent years, I've been doing transitional interim work in United Church of Christ congregations. And today we are talking about social media for church staff members, as distinct from social media for a church, like as a, a church's social media accounts. We're talking about how to use social media if you work for a church. I think it's good to make a distinction between those two because mm-hmm. lots of churches are trying to figure out what social media means to them and for them these days. And, and that's one important set of questions. But then how do staff members use social media uh, in their personal lives and, and as that morphs towards their professional lives in ways that are useful, faithful, helpful, um, and don't empowering. result in them getting fired because yes. that's a, a well, political thing that they shouldn't have. Yes, you, you, <laughs> you, you do want to try and keep your job most of the yeah. time. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of employment. Um, I think one of the kind of tricky things here, the reason it becomes tricky, is that we are all, in a sense, professional Christians. We are representative of the church. We're representative of Christianity in our personal lives. And that's not the case for every single church staff person. But for the majority of us who work in ministry, we... Uh, when we speak just, I'm going to post something on Facebook, there is that underlying, she works at a church, she's a professional Christian, she represents something. And depending on the congregation where you work, that may be like greater or lesser. I, I think it also depends on if you're ordained. A lot of ordained people have a much have, have much more responsibility because they're saying, oh, that's pastor so-and-so. They wear a clerical collar. They represent something. Um, I, I'm not an ordained person, so I don't feel that as much. But I also have to remember every time I'm on social media, I am speaking as someone who's affiliated with a church. I'm not speaking as a representative of the church all the time. I'm not like Sarah Breeze of the Minister of Music at First Congregational, but it's it's there. Well, and, and people don't draw those distinctions very clearly, especially mm-hmm. if if what you've posted is something they don't like. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Then, then you work for my church. Damn mm-hmm. you! I, I pay. I pay your salary. Correct. Correct. It, mm-hmm. it is that, and 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 I do. I appreciate your distinction between ordained and non-ordained because, um, you know, despite the fact that that clergy keep ranking lower and lower and lower in uh, opinion polls of of uh, trusted professionals, trust? yes. <laughs> and sadly, there's reasons for that, mm-hmm. and 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 there are good reasons. Um, there are still many people who, because I carry the title pastor, or because I'm ordained, and they mm-hmm. they Doctor. see me as a representative yeah. of God, mm-hmm. um, that that what I say I need to be thoughtful about, and, and um, you know they don't make a distinction often between uh, Bill the person and and Bill the pastor. Uh, they mm-hmm. they are um, you know they they conflate those two and, and they conflate those two for things that 
they like me saying and for things that they don't like mm-hmm. me saying. And I think often this is completely legitimate. Like this literally is, we are representing the church in a certain kind of way. Yes, we, we are. I, I, I've always tried to be careful um, with that sense of how, how am I representing God? Uh, yes, mm-hmm. I, I feel mm-hmm. I'm doing that. That's part of my pastoral yes, role. Yeah. But but I I've I've seen too many instances where where um, clergy colleagues have blurred that line of you know I'm representing God or oh I'm holy myself and and so mm-hmm. you need to pay attention to me because I'm the pastor um, and, and and that can be a slippery dangerous slope. But that's that's for another mm-hmm. time. Yeah. We're going to talk about four different areas today. We're going to talk about what it means to have an audience on social media and how to think about being a neighbor when your audience is endless. Sorry, I didn't tell you that's what we were talking okay, about. Okay, that's good to know. <laughs> I'm just you, you talk and I'll follow. We're going to talk about how social media can be a pastoral tool. We're going to talk about pros and cons of sharing about yourself and sharing about your family and strategies to think through. And the last thing that we're going to think about is um, how nice social media can be for um, the loose connections that we have in life, the connections that are important. It's not there, not that we're talking with our best friends all the time, but, you know, loose connections are also important. So we'll, we're going to talk about those areas. Good. So I think the first one to think about is if you're on a social media platform, if you're on Twitter, you're on Instagram, you're on Facebook or whatever, uh, whatever the kids are on these days, Probably not you guys. You're probably not the kids that are on whatever the kids are on. But, you know, maybe you are. Uh, maybe you're monitoring your kids' what social media account. What is being discovered account. even as Who we speak? knows? <laughs> I cannot keep up with them. But if you're speaking on a social media platform, if you're sharing something, you have to think about who is the audience. And I think for those of us working in churches, we often – we know who our audience is on Sunday morning. We can see them. We have relationships with most of the people there. But when we're on social media, we've got, you know – family members, people we've never, ever met before. Uh, we have church members. We have uh, people who don't care about God at all. We have just a huge a huge neighborhood. I would think of it as a certain kind of neighborhood that we are responsible for and yet also not responsible before because we cannot control how people perceive us. We can only be wise about our actions and think, how might this be received? Of course, we cannot control how things are received, but we can be wise and intentional in thinking about, well, who actually am I talking to when I when I share something? Yes. And um, I run into this a lot because I am a more progressive Christian. I grew up in a very conservative environment, and I have lots of friends, colleagues, family, uh, hopefully not enemies, but, you know, just a lot of people I'm connected connected with on social media who have very different religious beliefs than I do. And so oftentimes, uh, not often, because I try to think about this, because I'm like, I don't really want to get into a debate about, you know, ecclesiology, uh, soteriology, whatever the ology is. I just don't want to get into that on Facebook. I don't think that's the platform. But sometimes I post something and I just, I, I forget, oh yeah, there's that whole other audience that I'm talking to. And I thought I was talking to one segment of my audience. And then all the other people on the segment are like, what? You don't believe in hell? This did happen a few weeks ago. And, you know, I was like, okay, okay. I opened, it was a hell of a mess, wasn't oh, it? Oh, it was. And I, you know, I opened the door. I was the one who opened yeah, the door. And yeah. I'm the one who had to, I mean, there were no bad consequences here. It was just like reaffirming, oh, yeah, I have faith differences with people that I'm in relationship with. But it does speak to that awareness. It does. And, and because the I had forgotten. That awareness requires. Yes, yeah. I knew that that audience was there. I knew that those folks would see that. Hey, if you guys are listening to this podcast, hi, I love you too. Um, and I just forgot that the audience was there. But no, they're part of my audience too. And I 
Not that I would have said anything differently, but I would have at least given consideration to what I said beforehand. One of the things that I think is that you bring uniquely to the table is you are working on building platform mm-hmm. for, oh, yeah. for you know books you hope to publish and mm-hmm. and, and just your, Ooh, your can we have our your exciting announcement persona. I don't think we ever announced announce this on the you podcast. You make that our read of the yes. week. <laughs> okay, well, it's, it's, it won't be published till uh, 2022. But um, I, I have a book contract with Westminster John Knox for a book about professional Christians Ooh. and uh, being yourself in professional ministry. So I am having a very good time. We're wearing that. party hats here mm-hmm, for those of you mm-hmm. who can't see us and yeah, streamers. Yeah. And- so, so I have for several years now thought very carefully about how I, I use social media because I, while I use social media personally, like, oh yeah, I'm going to see my nieces or nephews on Facebook or whatever. By and large, what I'm sharing on social media is through the filter of, can I say this to an anonymous audience? Because I don't know everyone who follows me on Facebook. I don't know every, certainly don't know everyone who follows me on Instagram or something. And I have to think, what am I saying to an audience that I don't, that I can't see, that I don't know? And part of this that I don't think a lot of people understand or relate to is, is publishers are looking for potential authors to have a platform. Uh, you know, I've heard the number 10,000 is, is, is what have. they want. But, but, you guys are welcome to follow me. <laughs> but, but, but they're not willing Sarah to Brisa. take... They're not willing... Dot com. They're, they're not willing to take somebody on unless they can demonstrate um, mm-hmm. a, a platform of a certain size, mm-hmm. which is yeah. a huge difference from when it was, hey, I've got this interesting idea for a book and, and mm-hmm. I'll send it to a publisher and maybe yeah. they'll take it and like is good. It's 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 a whole mm-hmm. different business the, model. The responsibility for selling books is largely on the author's correct, shoulders. Correct, correct, yeah. and and you know, almost like almost totally on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, you might yeah. get in one of their catalogs, but you might not. But yeah, but pe- but people, um, especially for nonfiction books, are often buying books because of word of mouth. And if the author can't start the word of mouth, then it's not going to go very far. By correct. And, large. Correct. and if you um, if you don't have a reputation of people trusting you, then why should they even buy your book in the first place? Correct. And yeah. and they're certainly not going to recommend to their friends mm-hmm. to, yeah. to buy your book. Oh, or, she's really obnoxious it. and I don't like what she does and yeah. she seems really fake for me. Yeah, you're not going to buy the book. And and so that's that's a an important use of social media for mm-hmm. you. That's not something that most of us are dealing no, with. No, no. But, but I think that the thinking about who is your audience is, is something that we yes, all have to think yes. about. Yes. R- regardless mm-hmm. of how you use social media, mm-hmm. that ought to be part of your, mm-hmm. con- your consideration, particularly if you work for a church. Oh, yeah. So let's think about social media as a pastoral tool. Uh, you want to start out about how you, how yes, you thought yes. about it? Yes, One of the things that, that I quickly became aware of as I began to use Facebook um, probably 11 or 12 years ago, now one of my kids helped me figure out Thanks, how to kids. get onto it. Yes, appreciate those millennials. Um, and uh, and then as soon as I was up and had a presence, members of my congregation started sending in friend requests. And I thought, and, and I, I thought about that a bit and I said, well, let's see what happens. I think it's a good idea to be connected to them. And, and what I quickly discovered as I became friends with members of congregations is they will put pastoral information up, uh, grandmother died or, or there was this car accident or they, they will post things about that that they would never call the church 
and say, might not even tell me at the door on Sunday morning. And so it has become, social media has become a useful pastoral tool so that I know there are certain times I need to reach out uh, to, to members of my congregation and check in and see how they're doing or reach out to them uh, to offer condolences or, or to, to make sure they're physically or emotionally okay and that that's important. The other piece of this is, is that it also helps me have a greater awareness of, of the kind of people I'm serving. Uh, what are their interests? What are their passions? What are their politics? What are their involvements in the community? Um, years ago, I read a preaching book where the, the author said, you've got to both exegete a text for Sunday morning, but as you come into a new congregation, uh, you need to exegete that congregation. You need to understand what motivates them and, and the context in which they dwell and where they're coming from on all sorts of different levels. Um, just as you do scholarly work with a text before you preach on it, you need to do scholarly type work with the community in which you're serving and the particular church you're serving. And, and, and so social media is a huge tool for me in doing that kind of work, that exegetical work to help me better understand the folks I'm serving and the communities in which they live. I think social media can also be a way to check your gut um, if you're thinking about current events and whether they uh, warrant being mentioned in, say, a pastoral prayer or something. Like mm. You may have your own read of the news and think, oh, I need to mention this school shooting in a pastoral prayer or something. Um, but if you are connected with your congregation in a social media platform, you can you can see that everyone is 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 grieving over something, um, mm-hmm. and I think that that's mm-hmm. something that you have. You well, have seen. several years ago, the community where I was serving. Uh, Several young women were out riding uh, in fields in an ATV, and it flipped, and and three of the four were killed, and it was just gut wrenching for that particular community. And and I watched this for a couple of days, and, and was trying to figure out if there were ways I could respond pastorally. And and where I really saw the blow up, there was some articles in the paper, there was a little article on the local TV station, but with social media, it, it was just people could not uh, talk talk about it enough. They just had to talk and talk and talk about it. And and I decided that maybe a pastoral thing to do would be to to offer up a prayer uh, for community grief, for care for uh, the surviving uh, person. And, and um, so I, I spent a few hours writing a prayer and thinking over it and rewriting it. And then I posted it. And within 24 hours, it had been viewed four or 500 times and shared 60 times or something like that. For me, that was a lot of social media uh, sharing. And it was all there in that little community. And and I didn't care that it was about me, but my interest was, was, was that prayer able to offer some comfort to others in this community in their time of grief? And I think it was. So there was a good use, I believe, of this social is, media. This is another way that social media can be a pastoral tool, which is that you can minister beyond the hour that you have on Sunday, and you can minister also beyond the local congregation that you minister to. And I see this in people who post their sermons online, people who post Bible verses, people who frankly post political and current event kind of things with a um, with a, some sort of Bible verse or some sort of question and make themselves 
willing and available to respond to comments, which I think is a very big ask of time and is often not a wise use of time just because it can be really consuming. But for people who are able to minister in that way, it can be a much, it can be a very powerful way for them to minister beyond that Sunday morning setting. Agreed. Uh, but it can, I think it can be a two-edged sword. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it, this can I mean, be incredibly dangerous <laughs> well, and a huge time suck. It, well, it can, it, can, it can take a lot of time. It can um, create an image of you or the church you're serving in the community that may or may not uh, be of help. Um, and it, it, it just can create la- layers it can just create layers of conflict that mm-hmm. you may not have anticipated. Oh, yeah. I, I think that this is, of all the kinds of things, that public ministry, like, you know, I'm thinking of someone who uh, a, a deacon in a Orthodox church would post Bible verses, and even that was contentious in his circles. And I'm like, he's a deacon, uh, like, which in, in the Orthodox church is a ordained position that a person has for their lifetime. Um, like, this is a, a serious position for a person to have. It would be like, you know, having a priest posting Bible verses. You wouldn't think that would cause rancor in the ranks. And yet, you know, he he made himself willing. He chose to do this and was willing to talk to apparently all the atheists that he knew who took, took offense at this. And I mean, good for him. It was a conscious choice on his part. He was intentional, intentionally doing that as ministry. Yeah. It can be a really useful tool and a great way to care for people. Mm-hmm. But it comes, it comes with edges. It comes with a price. That, and, and, and can come with a price. And you just need to be aware. I, I've seen a number of people over the years who just kind of blurt something out because that's how they're feeling mm-hmm. in the moment, not cognizant of the, the potential impact mm-hmm. or potential response what they blurt out may have. And, and then are, are kind of deer in the headlights when the blowback comes. You know, I think some of this relates back to thinking about who is your audience, because some people, you know, they've got 300 Facebook friends, they know every single one of them, and they know exactly what's going on. Now, if you're on Twitter, or if you um, make all your posts public, as I do, uh, you don't necessarily know who that audience is, or maybe your audience is just really, really has different factions, and you aren't in an echo chamber. Um, I know oftentimes for some people, social media is an echo chamber and what they say is agreed on. And then it becomes, well, is it really worthwhile doing all these posting, spending all this time doing this when you could spend your time doing something else? Is it worthwhile to do that kind of ministry when everyone says, yay, totally agree with you. This is, this is the best. And everyone who disagrees with us is wrong. Is that, is that worthwhile? And then on the other hand, if you're not in an echo chamber kind of place, if you say one thing, are you willing to deal with all the people who are like, well, that's not what I believe. And I think we live in a day and age where one of the things social media allows is is a larger fragmentation of us societally and culturally. Nichification. Ni- ooh, nichification. <laughs> I like that one. That's a great word. Uh, you you heard it here first, folks. Yep. <laughs> um, and, but but that that breaking us down into smaller and smaller groups or smaller and smaller tribes uh, to to use pop- some popular terms comes with. I think more potential fault lines and and more potential cliffs we can walk off of, and and just requires to go back to your 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 sense of great wisdom in how you utilize social media and and what you post and where you post and um, how you respond to to the comments you are going to get. Let's talk about sharing about ourselves and about our families on social media. I think. 
For me, this is one of the biggest places of thought. I have a young child and many people post lots of photos of their children online. And I, because I, because I do make my posts public, because I realize I have a wider audience, I tend to think, um, if I'm going to post something, would I be willing, I mean, one, am I willing for anyone to see that? And two, hmm, is this the kind of thing where I'd put that photo on my, my office desk? Is this something that I'm willing to have in that kind of public setting? Um, and that's, that's a, that's my personal approach. I don't think that that is the one right way at all. But I think that just asking yourself, what do I want about myself publicly What on, on, a, on a social media platform? And what do I want about my family on a social media platform? That's really important because, you know, kids grow up and people change and we, we don't always like what we post on social media a year later. I have tended to serve larger congregations over the years and and larger congregations tend to be less homogeneous. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and so I have folks that are all across the theological spectrum and all across the political spectrum. And for me, that that has um, focused the kinds of things I post and don't post personally. Um, I tend not to uh, post things that are uh, political or or too political. I'm even careful on the things I like um, mm. because I'm uh, wanting um, to stay connected to people, and 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 I, I'm not desiring to to think post things that that are potentially divisive mm. for people. For me, this is part of the personal side of it. So so I think about those kinds of things uh, as as I decide what I'm going to post personally. And so I then am, feel safer. Um, okay, here's a picture of me holding uh, the newborn grandchild mm, or yeah. something like that. Or or um, my, my father, who's 88, and I have traveled for a week or so in recent years. And, and I've had great fun um, posting pictures, a daily picture of our adventure. Usually it's, it's of him. That was really fun. Um, yeah. or, or of some place we've been. Um, and and it's just kind of sharing a a, a travel log via post, uh, and and I found those kinds of things are for me more comfortable uh, and also more responsible as I think about my uh, position within the faith community that I'm serving. Mm-hmm. Does that help? Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. I don't. I don't think that there's any one right answer here. Oh no, it's, no. It's you just need to be wise and intentional. And and everybody's got to come to their own place of comfort. Mm-hmm. Um, but but please do it with some thoughtfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, or or you're gonna get your hand slapped or or mm-hmm. worse. You know, I often it. don't post in real time, and that has the added. Uh, benefit of helping me enjoy real time more because I'm not thinking, ooh, ooh I have to get this on yes, Instagram. Yes. Um, but it also gives me space to say, oh, is this really what I want to post? That's that's a good uh, a good. Uh, what's the right word? Oh, that's a good idea, Sarah. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's talk about our last area, which is that social media can be a a really great tool for keeping up with loose connections. Um, by which I'm thinking of not your best friend, not your spouse, not your mom, but the people that are that we're friends with, that we're acquainted with in our lives, um, that we don't see all the time. And it's still really important and nice to be connected with those people. Those kinds of loose connections can still be really valuable. 
The, I, I wish I could quote the, the article or the study uh, this past I'm summer. I'm going to find it and put it in our show notes. There, there was a, a fascinating study about the importance of, uh, of those loose community connections. Mm-hmm. Of, yeah, of, I, I read of it too, and I, I don't remember the name of it. People you see uh, in a restaurant or, or that you run into at the grocery store, mm-hmm. yeah. that, that you don't, you know, you're never going to their house to have dinner or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it's just this, this sense of a larger community that you're a part mm-hmm. of and how important those relationships are to to building and maintaining that sense of community that we all need. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and one of the things I love about the the social media that I use is is for this group of friends that some of them I've known since childhood or, or you know, high school, college years, or some have been from churches I've served around or, or seminary classmates, just whatever, um, is, is that I know a bit about what's going on in their lives, and, and and it's nice to celebrate their joys and to mourn with them uh, when it's time to mourn with them. It's nice if I run into them uh, and haven't seen them in 20 years, but have been following them on Facebook or Instagram or wherever it is to say, oh, I love that picture of your kid or your grandchild or what a neat trip you just took, something like that. Those those That knowledge and those connections, I think, are of worth. They are. And, and in a world and a time where, where, you know, our culture is so divided and, and we are so broken down into our, what'd you say, nicheness? Our n- nicheification. Nicheification. <laughs> nicheification. Um, I, I think these kinds of social connections are huge mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. we need to, um, embrace them and we need to, um, you know, work hard to make sure we're not just discarding anybody who doesn't think like us. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. you know, if, if you're they're getting, still a child of God. <laughs> they're still a child of God. And and if you're getting rid of um, friends or, or, or people you're connected to on whatever social media platform it is, just because they don't agree with you, um, I, I think we're, we're causing more damage uh, to our larger community. Is this where I admit that realize. I've unfollowed literally hundreds of people on Facebook? <laughs> I, I, I think I think we all have. Or or there are some people I just choose not to see comments because I mm-hmm. don't want to see one oh, yeah. more yeah, yeah, yeah. pro-gun comment when when I just can't handle that. And I'm sure people have done the same to mm-hmm. me. But I try and do yeah. that carefully and intentionally and, and go back to that wisdom thing. Mm-hmm. So it's not just, oh, I, I want to exist in Bill's little echo chamber. This is a, going back to the endless audience thing. It's reminding me that I sometimes forget how diverse my audience is because I figure, man, I, I bet they've just unfollowed me at this point. <laughs> and then I'm like, whoops, that person I haven't talked to in years clearly has not unfollowed me. <laughs> yes. Yes. Got to remember it. they're in there too, even if... Even if I'm surprised that they're there. <laughs> <laughs> so you can find the show notes for this episode at calledpodcast.com slash 14. And we'll, I'll find the link for that uh, article on loose connections that Bill and I both read. It's time for our read of the week. And we have one this week. It, the book is called Comedy, Sex, God. And it's by Pete Holmes. You might know him as a comedian. And this is a memoir that he wrote. He grew up in a very uh, conservative evangelical environment, hence the sex in the title, because that's a very uh, guilty, contentious kind of things for a lot of people who grew up in those circles. Um, comedy, he's a comedian. And God, he has been um, 
a, a seeker and a, and a finder of God uh, throughout his life. And um, I'm, I don't often read memoirs, but I have been finding this one is just, I mean, one, it's a little bit funny because it's written by a comedian. Um, but the spiritual aspect of it in particular has been really interesting for me uh, to think about, like, what does it mean to seek for God? What does it mean to seek for God knowing that God tells us that we can find God? What what does that look like? And I'm it's interesting for me uh, as, on a personal level, but also on a ministry level to think about here's somebody's uh, experience seeking for God and finding God. And and I have not read this, but just you know, un, with with my kind of base understanding of of how much sexuality uh, can be used as a um, uh, a battering ram saying you're bad you're you're not faithful mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and as a way to keep people from god mm-hmm. uh yeah. it sounds which is like something the, that he writes about I, I, about, yeah. I, I can imagine he does which yay mm-hmm. uh because yeah. I, i've seen too many people who who uh feel they're not worthy or or that they can have no connection uh to god because of how they express themselves sexually mm-hmm. and, yeah. and 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 the church, I think, has just driven wedge after wedge after wedge mm-hmm. between God and God's people because of its hang-up uh, uh, and and issues around sexuality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So uh, if you're not convinced that uh, certain conservative teachings on sexuality can be really damaging to people, I mean, this would also be a helpful memoir to read. It's a, a, a different kind of perspective on, a, on a, uh, frankly, the damage that religious education can do to people. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad, I'm glad you've uh, put that before us. So that's it for this week's installment of Called. Look for new episodes on the first and third Tuesday of the month. And as mentioned earlier, you can find show notes at calledpodcast.com. And since we're talking about social media, I'm on social media basically everywhere as Sarah.Bariza. Sarah Bariza without the dot is a different person. Oh, fascinating. That's the artist. There's more than one of you. Oh, I'll, I'll, even my sister-in-law also. Oh wow! Yeah, there's like three of us at least. Oh, wow. There's a okay. there's a there's an artist named Sarah Bariza who usually shows up before I do, but so, but I am not an artist. So whether the world is ready or not, you are an artist, just in a different way, just different in a different way. Yep. Whether the world's ready or not, there's more than one Sarah mm-hmm. Bariza. Okay. Yep. Okay. Good to know. So if you're enjoying the show, please share it with your ministry friends, and if you would give us a Christmas present and leave a review on iTunes, we would really appreciate it. Oh, that would be very nice. Yes. And Christmas is coming. And if a review isn't what you're thinking about, um, cash donations, flat screen TVs, you know, it's all good. late model sports cars, anything. Uh, I'm Bill Smoots. And I'm Sarah Bariza. Until next time, cut out the BS, embrace the good, and enjoy this good life that God has given us. Amen.